And if you've got a Bible, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2 is where we're at. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25 is our text this morning. If you don't have a copy of it, uh, it'll be on the screen for you as we read along together. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, we pick up where we left off last week. The Apostle Peter writes these words. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For it is this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one or to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, as, as February, we're kind of in the full swing of February now, a good week into it. Um, th- this time every year, as the temperatures begin to rise a little bit in the air outside, um, you know, we're kind of on the, on the cusp of the end of winter as we look forward to the spring. There's something in my blood that begins to boil a little bit uh, because I always look forward to that time of the year whenever the big fish move out of the deep water into the shallow water and they become more accessible to people like me who like to get on top of them and catch them and pluck them out of the water, right? Um, so I could take a picture. That's really all I like to do. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm a catch and release kind of guy. So I take pictures and put them back in the water so somebody else can catch them or I can catch them again at some point in the future. This time of the year, my blood starts to boil a little bit. And so I get, you know, this time I'm starting to kind of get my, my rods out and my, my reels out. And so, you know, stripping off old line, putting on new line, lubing them up, getting them ready to go because there's that kind of anticipation about what's about to happen out there on the lakes and the ponds and the local bodies of water. Um, I sound like I'm actually a good fisherman, but in reality, the fish win most days. Um, but I love getting out there on the water and, 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 and fishing. Now, growing up in a, in a family of fishermen, um, one of the things that I had to learn very early on was how to use a bait casting reel. Now, there's several different types of reels, right? You got the little Zebco reels that you can push the button on and they go, Meep out there with a little cork on, you sit there and fish for brim or white perch or something like that. Then you got um, spinning reels, right, that have, uh, uh, their, they, the, the reel sits underneath the rod and you, you pull up the bale, cast it out, uh, pretty easy operation, you click the thing and start, start reeling it in, but then you got a bait casting reel, all right, this took, these are probably the hardest ones to learn how to, how to throw something on uh, appropriately and sufficiently. Uh, because the, the, the line is, is it's an open face reel, so there's nothing to protect the line. So whenever you, you got to cast it out real far, if it's not set, the settings on the reel aren't set appropriately, what ultimately happens, this is what fishermen call it, is a backlash in that reel or a bird's nest, right? I see Blake over here smiling a lot uh, and Matt's over here smiling a little bit too. But the bird's nest is that, is that all that line starts coming off of that reel and when it's coming off too quickly for the weight that's on the end of the line, ultimately the, the, what happens with the line is it just kind of goes... <laughs> 
It just like shoots up like a big afro there in the middle of the fishing reel, the spool of line. Right? So what you've got is you've got all these the lines just kind of gets wrapped around itself and it gets all tangled up. And so if you're out on a boat or you're on the edge of a pond, you're trying to fish and you're like, oh, you start peeing. This never happens to me. You start peeling off line. That's actually a you start peeling off line, and so you get line like dripping in the water, and you get peeling off like yards and yards and yards of line, and then you get to the point where the knot is, and you kind of kind of finagle it around a little bit to keep peeling off more line. You get another knot, you kind of finagle it around, peel off more line until you finally get back down to where the line is fresh on the spool, and then you kind of start reeling it back up so you can try and make another cast. See, the issue with a bait casting reel is because it's sensitive in that manner. Uh, whenever you get a backlash or a bird's nest and you get that little afro there in the middle of the reel, it's not usable because all the line gets jumbled up and it gets tangled up and so you can't use it. It's not functional in your hands any longer. And I, I think whenever you look at that reality in the life of a fisherman, we all hate them. We all hate bird's nests. We all hate backlashes. We all hate those little afros in the middle of the reel. When you look at that reality in the life of a fisherman, it becomes a reality in the life of a Christian oftentimes as well. Whenever our, whenever, and here, follow me with, on, on this for a moment. Right? It becomes a reality in the life of a Christian See, you and I are called to be sojourners. We're called to live as exiles. We're called to be resident aliens in this life. However, oftentimes our lives looks more like a backlash in the hands of God. It looks more like this, this kind of bird's nest in his hands. It's not functional. It's not usable. And a part of the reason why, listen, a part of the reason why is because there's oftentimes no matter what culture you live in, whether it be 21st century American culture, whether it be a Latino culture, or whether it be an African American culture, or whether it be whatever culture, an Asian culture, whatever culture you live in has certain priorities and values, ways of viewing life, ways of making decisions, ways of functioning and living. And in every culture, if a Christian is to live as a sojourner, if they're to live as an exile, if they're to live as a resident alien in that culture, one of their responsibilities in order to be a tool that's functional in God's hands and not have all this backlash, part of their responsibility is to apply their minds to thinking through this untangling, the untangling of what is Christian versus what is American. What is Christian versus what is Canadian? What is Christian versus what is Mexican? Versus what is Christian versus what is African American? What is Christian versus what is the Latino culture? What is Christian versus what is in the Asian culture? There's got to be an untangling of those things. Because oftentimes, one of the reasons, what Peter says to us back up in verses 11 and 12, when he says, conduct yourselves among the Gentiles in an honorable fashion so they may see your good deeds. They may see you doing things that would cause them to glorify God on the day in which he visits we talked about a couple of weeks ago of us living as missionaries. And so there's different values and different perspectives that people see us operating out of that cause them to think, why is that person doing what they're doing? But whenever Christianity, your citizenship is a part of God's kingdom and your citizenship is a part of this, uh, this earthly kingdom called America, get tangled up together. When they get tangled and bound up together, 
then your life begins to no longer look distinctively Christian. You just look American or you look Canadian or you look Mexican or you look Asian or African-American or Indian. Right? You, you, you just begin to look like someone else in your culture whenever when you, when you fail to untangle your American citizenship from your heavenly citizenship, then you're no longer looking like someone who's an alien. You're no longer living like someone who is distinct. You're no longer looking like someone who's pushed all their chips to the center of the table and said, I'm all in on Jesus and I'm all his. You just look like the person next door. And listen, one of the areas, one of the areas that you and I, particularly in the day and time in which we live, one of the areas that we've got to begin to untangle if we're going to live as faithful, sojourning Christians in the midst of a broader culture, one of, the, one of the things we've got to begin to untangle, we've got to begin to untangle our view, our 21st century American view of suffering from what it means biblically as a Christian. Because most, many of us, most of us, when I look in the mirror, I see this in myself. And I see it in churches and I see it in pastors who get up on television or have large ministries. And what has happened is around the spool of our lives, that line has gotten all tangled to where we begin to look at suffering and pain and a hardship through a 21st century American lens and not a biblical one. Not a biblical one. And that's one of the things that we've got, that's line, we've got to keep, we've got to strip off. We've got to strip off. So we can get back to a place where we're usable in God's hands as sojourning Christians, as those who are citizens of God's kingdom, living amongst the kingdoms of this world. Now that was my introduction. Not 20 minutes like last week. We can keep going on that. But we're going to go ahead and jump into the text. Because in this text, I think Peter begins to drive down on that issue. And he's going to, what we're going to see is that there's going to be some stripping of line off the spool of our lives that needs to happen if we're going to begin to function biblically with regards to what it means to suffer and endure, endure hardship. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, what Peter basically does is he takes the principle that he lines out up in verses 13 and 14 as he talks about being subject for Jesus' sake. He talks about the general principle up there and he begins to press it in particular realities of our lives. And he begins, in, in so doing, he begins to kind of peel off some of the line on the spool of our lives to untangle some of those knots. And it, listen, There's so much here in this text. And I feel like one sermon, even though it's going to be about 45 minutes, is completely insufficient to mine the depths of what's here. So at some point in the future, we'll come back. But for today, for today, what I want us to see is, is situated in verse 21. And these three words, for to this, for to this you have been called. For to this you have been called. Listen, what Peter says here 
is, 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 this is why we've got to untangle our American 21st century understanding of suffering from the biblical one. Because what Peter says here is that what you and I are called to is to suffer. We are called to suffer. Let that settle, let that settle on your heart for a moment. That we are called to this. It's incredible to think about what Peter says here in the context of our culture. Now, what kind of suffering in particular does Peter have in mind here? Because there's several kinds of suffering that people can, can experience or encounter in this life, right? You can suffer on account of natural evil. right? When, when you look at what took place across the lake at the end of December in 2015, just a couple of months ago, as we move towards that in, in, in March, as we go over there as a church to try and help rebuild homes and care for people who are hurting after they've lost all their worldly goods and possessions. So we move towards that. If you look at what took place over there, the tornadoes that erupted all across Texas on that fateful day. Or you look at hurricanes that surge onto the shores of the East Coast or the Gulf Coast. Or you look at earthquakes that take place along fault lines on the West Coast. Or you look at massive blizzards that move in to the northern regions of our country and blanket this, these whole communities in ice and snow for days. In fact, when they lose power, some people die. When you look at natural evil, some people suffer on account of natural evil that exists in our world. Part of the consequence of living in a world that doesn't work the way that it was designed to work because of sin. So you can suffer on account of natural evil. You can suffer on account of moral evil, right? You can suffer on account of the fact that you, you just chose to go wheels off on moments in your life. You chose to turn your back on God and walk straight headlong into sin, Right? Just with the tongue out, panting after it. And so you create all kinds of consequences in life. And you suffer on account of, at times, the consequences of your own sin. You can also, at times, suffer on account of the consequences of sins that have been committed against you. There, there, there are perhaps some of you in the room who've had things said to you or done to you that have caused you to suffer. But what the kind of suffering that Peter has in mind here that he says we're called to is this. And he's, not, I don't, he's not thinking in this context about natural evil. I don't think he's thinking in this context about the, the moral evil that you might commit. I don't even think he's necessarily thinking about moral evil that's been done, done to you by someone. Here's, the, here's, what he's, here's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about the kind of suffering that ensues in our life whenever human authorities... Get what Peter says in verse 14, turned on its head. The kind of suffering that comes, the kind of pain and hardship that you endure whenever human authorities in this world get verse 14 that we saw last week turned on its head. In verse 14, Peter says that be subject to the emperor supreme or to the governors sent by him to do what? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. But we know from experience that human authorities don't always get that right, do they? There are occasions where human authorities turn that upside down and they begin to praise those who do evil and punish those who do good. And that's the kind of context Peter's writing into here. Where human authorities begin to praise those who do evil and punish those who do good. 
Now, when that occasion arises in a particular culture as it had in Peter's day, and listen, if you look, if you look in our day, it is undeniable to think that we are, we are not there or moving there as, as we speak. When you look at individuals like the, 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 the chief of, uh, fire chief in Atlanta in January of 15, who was fired for, for holding to a particular view of marriage that was not very popular in the city administration that he worked with. And he wrote a book. And he published that book, and in that book he talked about a biblical view of marriage between one man and one woman. And he was ultimately let go on account of those views. See, whenever human authority begins to punish those who do uh, good and praise those who do evil, what happens? People who do good begin to suffer. They begin to hurt the fire gets turned up in their lives because human authorities don't always get that right. And Peter says, when that begins to happen, whenever those who do evil are praised and those who do good are punished, he says, when that begins to happen, he says, your calling, which is a gracious thing in the sight of God, he says, your calling is to continue to walk in obedience to Jesus because you recognize that there is a higher authority above the human authority. We saw that last week. Right? There's a higher authority above the human authority. God is above the human authority. And so just like Peter and John in the book of Acts, whenever they're told to stop preaching the gospel, they say, listen, dude, we've got to obey God and not you. <laughs> When the human authority goes counter to God's authority, Peter says, you're going to begin to suffer, and you're not going to suffer because someone has done something to you. You're not going to suffer because you've done something that was evil. You're not going to suffer because tornadoes and hail and outbreaks of storms and all that. You're going to suffer precisely because what you're doing, which is a good thing and honoring God and living in obedience and submission to him, the human authorities in your life are going to see as evil and they're going to begin to persecute you and punish you on account of it. And Peter doesn't say, he doesn't say that kind of suffering, God didn't really want that for you. No, he says, you're called to that. You're called to it. In other words, you're called to continue to walk in obedience and do what is right and honorable in the sight of God and obey God rather than men, no matter how hot it gets, no matter how hard it becomes, no matter how much persecution ensues, no matter the degree of punishment you receive, for continuing to honor God and walk in obedience. See, and if, you, if, you, if, if we as a church are going to live like this, as sojourning Christians, man, we have got to untangle that 21st century American view of suffering, which basically is this, avoid it at all costs. Avoid suffering at all costs. And we've got to untangle that from what it means to live as a Christian.
Peter says you've been called. It's a passive verb. It means something other, somebody other than yourself has summoned you to this. That God has set, himself has summoned you to this kind of life in which you do good even if you suffer for it. But the reality is that most of us, we spend the majority of our time trying to circumvent that suffering. And so we remain quiet in instances when we should speak. Or we speak in instances in which we should remain quiet. Because we want to circumvent the pain or the hardship or the suffering that comes with this. Now the particular that Peter presses down into here. In, in, in verses 18 to 25, as he takes this general principle that he lays out in verses 13 and 14 of being subject to every human authority, and he begins to push it down into the particulars of the life. And he comes to say in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters. Be subject to your masters. And that word servant there in the Greek text was a, a, very, a term that had a broad range of meaning. It meant basically the servants in a household of a very perhaps wealthy uh, uh, um, estate owner. But people who, who lived and functioned and served and carried out duties in his household. So it might have been cooks and porters. It might have been financial administrators, tutors, those who educated their children, those who took care of their financial affairs, those who took care of the livestock out in the fields, those who took care of the domestic duties inside the home. They were a broad range of meaning. And Peter says, be subject to your masters. But notice how he qualifies it. He doesn't say just be subject to the ones that pay well, that treat you well, that treat you honorably, right? That provide good living quarters for you and arrangements that are very gentle and gracious and good. No, he says also to those who are unjust, those who don't pay well. Those who don't pay you what your market value is worth. Those who don't provide good living arrangements for you. Those who aren't, who are, who, are, who are rough. Those who at times are a little bit abrasive. And he says, because this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you suffer for doing good, Peter envisions this instance where the servants in the household, man, they had done something that was honorable. They had, they had been obedient to God in the way that they conducted their affairs. And yet in the eyes of their master, what they had done was evil. And so they're suffering on account of it. And Peter says, listen, if you recognize there is a higher authority above all authority, above every human authority, then what you will do in those instances is you will be obedient to the higher authority, the Jesus, no matter what your human authority says, and you will suffer the consequences from the human authority. That's what he's saying. Now this is, again, this is so contrary because we're like, well, that's, what about my rights? What about my rights? Or what about, what about my, well, that would be so humiliating. That would be so demeaning. That would be so dishonoring. We feel, do you feel that? I feel it. <laughs> but listen, if you understand what Peter is saying in this text, in, in the previous one we looked at last week, if you understand what he's saying, you may feel that. It'd be so humiliating, it'd be so dishonoring, it'd be so demeaning. 
I've been honest and truthful, and yet my supervisor now has ramrodded me out of any future promotions because I was honest about the numbers that he asked me to inflate so our department would look better to corporate. So now there's a cap on me here, or I've been let go because of it. What about my rights? So humiliating. But listen, in those instances, what you're able to do, if you recognize there's a higher authority above all human authority, what you're able to do is you're able to look at that person square in the eye. And you're able to say to them, no matter what you say to me or what you do to me, you cannot humiliate me. <laughs> Nothing that you say to, or do to me will dishonor me. It will not humiliate me. And here's why. Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suffering the consequences at your hand because I'm submitting to you. I'm suffering the consequences at your hand because I'm submitting to God. And I've been obedient to him. And whatever comes my way on account of that, I will not turn back. I will honor him. I will live in obedience to him. And if you fire me, if you put a cap on my elevation or promotions here in this company, so be it. But I'm going to honor him. You cannot humiliate me because I have been humbled under his authority. I've been humbled under the authority of one who was humiliated for me. I've been humbled under the authority of one who was dishonored for me. I've been humbled under the authority of one who was demeaned in my place. And he tells me that to worship him, I'm to be obedient to him no matter what you do. And no matter what the consequences may look like for me. But listen, <laughs> this, this what, what Peter says here, what Peter says here, again, it is so, goes so against the grain, the fact that we've been called to this. Listen, there's a difference between being called to this and just falling into it. Just kind of falling into hard times, falling into pain, falling into suffering on account of doing good. Listen, there's a lot of best-selling authors and there's a lot of television personalities and there's a, a lot of life coaches out there who would say to us, listen, God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that hardship for you. He doesn't want you to feel that pain. He doesn't want you to suffer like that. That's not God's will for you. God wants you to be happy. God, God wants you to get yours in every sense of the word. Right, I can see it. There's something coming for some of you out there right now. Right, that, that's the kind of culture in which we live and move and breathe. It's so deeply ingrained within us. That whenever it comes to choosing between obeying God versus obeying man, even though we might suffer consequences because we've obeyed God in the face of a human authority that punishes good and praises evil, we choose to obey God. It's so against 
See, what, what, what most people will say is, oh, you just kind of fall into those every once in a while. God doesn't want you to be in that mess. He doesn't want you to be in that challenging situation. He doesn't want you to be in that. He wants you to rise above that and walk beyond that. Rise up. When sometimes, in fact, if you take what Peter says here, literally, <laughs> when it comes to suffering for doing good, it's part of God placing us in those situations so that we might conduct ourselves in an honorable fashion among the Gentiles, so they might see that you're hoping in something other than that promotion that you just got capped on. That you're hoping in something other than that relationship that you just said no to because you're not going to yield to the sex-crazed culture in which we live, students, or singles. Because you're going to honor God, even though it might cost you relational capital, even though it might cost you financial capital, even though it might cost you social capital, even though it might cost you your life to identify with Christ, with certain people who are operating across the globe right now. It goes so against the grain. So here's what I want to do in, in the time that we have left this morning. What I want to do is push down on why is it that God calls us to suffer this way? If God calls us to this, we don't just kind of fall into it. If he calls us to it, why in the world would a good, gracious, loving, compassionate God call us to endure hardship Endure sorrows while we suffer unjustly. We've done good, and yet a human authority said it's bad, so we've got consequences coming our way. Why would God call us to that? See if we can answer that from this book that we've been reading in together. Let me give you several answers. One, one, because of, I've got to find it. <laughs> because apart from it, apart from it, we would never experience the refining of our souls that we need. Do you, if you were with us a couple of months ago as we started First Peter, and we came through chapter 1 in verses 6 and 7. Peter writes these words. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Whose necessity? We said at that point when we came through that, God's necessity. Because God has a purpose in it so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, apart from it, apart from it, listen, there are adhesions on some of our souls that would never be broken up in any other way. Uh, about this time last year, I started having some issues in my calves and my hamstrings. And uh, as, a, as a runner, I wanted to try and take care of those things. And so I went and found a um, soft tissue therapist here in the Rockwall area. Great lady, godly lady. Um, in fact, she's treating me and making me scream in pain in all kinds of ways that I'd never imagined before. We're talking about Jesus and her church and about her husband and their baby. And just great conversations. So she's working on me because she says, listen, what I feel in your hamstring, what I feel in your calves are these you probably would call them knots, right, in the muscle there. She said they're adhesions where the muscle gets stuck to each other or gets stuck to the fascia. And so what we've got to do is break those things up. But oftentimes in order to break that up, it takes a significant amount of pressure. And listen, it's not pleasant. It ain't fun. 
when she dug down all the way to China in my hamstring or in my, the belly of my calf muscle and just scraped with her fingers, busting up those adhesions and those places where it got stuck. But listen, I can tell you this, whenever I stood up, I felt much more flexible and limber and like I can actually function now. And listen, some of you, some of us, part of the reason that God calls you to suffer for doing good because apart from it, there, listen, there are adhesions on some of our souls that would not get broken up in any other way. It's his ordained means. So he calls you to it. For some of us, there are attachments in our lives right now that we would not let go of apart from God calling you to be obedient to him in the face of human authorities calling evil good. Second of all, second reason he might call us to this from this book that we've been in, apart from it, we would become, become content with what is rather than longing for what will be. Apart from it, listen, for some of us in here, we would become absolutely content to live in what is as opposed to longing for what will be. If you go back into chapter 1 of 1 Peter, again, in verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter goes back, if you go back into 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, listen, there's a hope to which you've been born, and a hope, when you hope for something, you're wanting something, waiting for something you don't yet have, right? Like some of you hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl this afternoon. Some of you hope the Panthers win the Super Bowl this afternoon. Some of you don't really have a dog in the fight at all. You just want to go eat some good food. <laughs> Come on now. Now you're talking to me, right? So listen, there's, you might hope for something to take place, but it hasn't happened yet. And listen, apart from suffering for doing good, for saying yes to Jesus in the face of consequences, apart from that, some of us would become so content and comfortable with what we have here that we would never long for the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. We would, ne we would never have our hearts and souls stirred for that. C.S. Lewis, one of his famous quotes, and I, I didn't write it out, it's not on the screen, but one of his famous quotes is this. He talks about how we, as children who have never known what it's like to take a vacation to the beach and to see the glorious crystal blue water and the white sand, we become so content to just build mud pies in the slum. <laughs> we become so attached to the things of this world Listen, I had lunch with a friend of mine on Friday and he was talking to me about how he and his wife put a contract on a new home that we're going to build in Kruth Lakes and about you know, the features that are going to be part of that new home. 
and about you know how the floor plan laid out and the, the lot that it was situated on, which backed up to one of the bodies of water there in Cruth Lakes. And he was, he was like, man, we, we had a hard time deciding between this lot and this lot over here. The other lot over here is on a cul-de-sac, but it's got this up, upcharge to it, about $30,000 in addition to the price of the house because it's this massive, you know, well, well, for Cruth Lakes, it's a big lot. It's like uh, uh, almost 0.6 acres on the cul-de-sac, fans out down to the waterfront with a running trail going along uh, there in, in Carruth. You can walk out your back door and go fish in the lake there, go jump on the running trail and walk around. And as he's sitting there talking to me about this, before we went to lunch, I had no inclinations of ever moving from the home in which I live. It's a great home. But as we sat there at lunch and he was like, yeah, that, that lot's over there. Like, Really? Like 0.6 acres right there on the little lake? Yeah. So we'd be like seven houses from you guys? Yeah. Man. And so, mm. you been there? You been there? Where your heart just feels so attached to earthly things. So attached to them. You've got these dreams about where you're going to live, what schools your kids are going to go to. And these dreams, you get so attached to them. And apart from at times, God calling us to suffer for doing good, even when there's consequences from a human authority based in, in response to our actions. Man, some of us, our hearts would never be free from these earthly attachments. And listen, your heart gets attached quickly, like over lunch. Finally, finally, Peter says, and I think Peter would say to us, apart from suffering for doing good, apart from this, we would not look like the one who left the pattern for us. Our lives would not look like the one who left the pattern for us. In, in the text, in verses 24 and 25, um, I'm sorry, you go further back up. You go back up into um, verse 21, the end of verse 21. He says, for this you have been called because, because, why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That word example there in the Greek literally referred to kind of like like, like you do whenever you're trying to teach kids how to write or how to, how to color and paint. You've got to like paint by numbers or you've got like you write the words out for them and have them trace around the letters that you've just written and kind of fill in the gaps and the spaces. That's the kind of imagery that P Peter's working with here. He says when Christ suffered for you as leaving you an example to follow in his steps. So the life that our life is supposed to be patterned after is Jesus. It is Jesus. And so he is the R, right, that we are to trace out as we think about the R's in our lives. He is the paint-by-numbers worksheet in whom we're supposed to fill in all the little dots with number one and yellow and number two with red and number three with blue. We fill in all those colors because he has left the pattern for us to follow. And apart from suffering for doing good, our lives would not look like his. It would not look like his at all. 
but rather our lives will look like the pattern of the prevailing culture in which we live. Our lives will look more American than Christian. And Peter goes on. I'm going to close with this. And the band's going to come back up and we're going to sing. And we're going to take the Lord's table together. But Peter goes on in verses 24 and 25 to say, He, Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says, your life is to look like the one, it's just to look like Jesus, to be patterned after him so that you suffer for obedience to Jesus because Jesus suffered for you. You suffer for Jesus because Jesus suffered for you. And not only does Peter say in this text that he suffered for you as an example to follow, but he suffered for you as a substitute to take your place. And in fact, whenever he says that you might return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, a better translation of that is so that he might return you to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's a passive verb again. So that him coming to suffer for you is him coming to gather the sheep to bring them back to the shepherd. He came to suffer not only to leave you a pattern to follow, but also as your substitute. When he committed no sin, neither was a seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he suffered, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Do you see that? So even when you suffer for doing good, you're saying, listen, you might suffer for doing good at the hands of your family. You might suffer for doing good at the hands of church folk sometimes. You might suffer for doing good at the hands of your corporate uh, structure. You might suffer for doing good at the hands of the highest levels of authority in our nation. You might suffer for doing good in all kinds of areas and realities of life. But when you do, you keep being obedient to Jesus, and in so doing, you're entrusting yourself to him. Entrusting yourself to the higher authority above that human authority, no matter what consequences the human authority brings against you. And if we would embrace that, if we would embrace that, man, our lives will look a lot more Christian than they do American. <laughs> Let's pray together.